Chapter Twenty Five of East Lynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda McDaniel. East Lynne by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter Twenty Five. Charming results. Nearly a year went by. Lady Isabel Carlyle had spent it on the continent that refuge for such fugitives, now moving about from place to place with her companion, now stationary and alone. Quite half the time, taking one absence with the other, he had been away from her, chiefly in Paris, pursuing his own course and his own pleasure. How fared it with Lady Isabel? Just as it must be expected to fare, and does fare, when a high-principled gentlewoman falls from her pedestal. Never had she experienced a moment's calm, or peace, or happiness, since the fatal night of quitting her home. She had taken a blind leap in a moment of wild passion, when, instead of the garden of roses, it had been her persuader's pleasure to promise her she would fall into, but which, in truth, she had barely glanced at, for that had not been her moving motive, she had found herself plunged into a yawning abyss of horror, from which there was never more any escape, never more, never more. The very instant, the very night of her departure, she awoke to what she had done. The guilt, whose aspect had been shunned in the perspective, assumed at once its true frightful color, the blackness of darkness, and a lively remorse, a never-dying anguish, took possession of her soul forever. O oh, reader, believe me, lady, wife, mother, should you ever be tempted to abandon your home, so will you awake. Whatever trials may be the lot of your married life, though they may magnify themselves to your crushed spirit as beyond the nature, the endurance of woman to bear, resolve to bear them. Fall down upon your knees and pray to be enabled to bear them. Pray for patience. Pray for strength to resist the demon that would tempt you to escape. Bear until death rather than forfeit your fair name and your good conscience, for be assured that the alternative, if you do rush on to it, will be found worse than death. Poor thing, poor Lady Isabel, she had sacrificed husband, children, reputation, home, all that makes life of value to woman. She had forfeited her duty to God, and deliberately broken his commandments, for the one poor miserable mistake of flying with Francis Levison. But the instant the step was irrevocable, the instant she had left the barrier behind, repentance set in. Even in the first days of her departure, in the fleeting moments of abandonment, when it may be supposed she might momentarily forget conscience, it was sharply wounding her with its adder stings. And she knew that her whole future existence, whether spent with that man or without him, would be a dark course of gnawing retribution. Nearly a year went by, save some six or eight weeks, when one morning in July Lady Isabel made her appearance in the breakfast room. They were staying now at Grenoble. Taking that town on their way to Switzerland through Savoy, it had been Captain Levison's pleasure to halt in it. He engaged apartments furnished in the vicinity of the Place Grenette. A windy old house it was, full of doors and windows, chimneys and cupboards, and he said he should remain there. Lady Isabel remonstrated. She wished to go farther on, where they might get quicker news from England. But her will now was as nothing. She was looking like the ghost of her former self. 
talk of her having looked ill when she took the voyage over the water with Mr. Carlyle, you should have seen her now. Misery marks the countenance worse than sickness. Her face was white and worn, her hands were thin, her eyes were sunken and surrounded by a black circle. Care was digging caves for them. A stranger might have attributed these signs to the state of her health. She knew better, knew that they were the effects of her wretched mind and heart. It was very late for breakfast, but why should she rise early only to drag through another endless day? Languidly she took her seat at the table, just as Captain Levison's servant, a Frenchman whom he had engaged in Paris, entered the room with two letters. Point de Gazette, Pierre? she said. No, my lady. And all the time the sly fox had got the times in his coat pocket. But he was only obeying the orders of his master. It had been Captain Levison's recent pleasure that the newspapers should not be seen by Lady Isabel until he had overlooked them. You will speedily gather his motive. Pierre departed through Captain Levison's room, and Lady Isabel took up the letters and examined their superscription with interest. It was known to her that Mr. Carlyle had not lost a moment in seeking a divorce, and the announcement that it was granted was now daily expected. She was anxious for it, anxious that Captain Levison should render her the only reparation in his power before the birth of her unhappy child. Little thought she that there was not the least intention on his part to make her reparation, any more than he had made it to others who had gone before her. She had become painfully aware of the fact that the man for whom she had chosen to sacrifice herself was bad, but she had not learned all his badness yet. Captain Levison, unwashed, unshaven, with a dressing-gown loosely flung on, lounged into breakfast. The decked-out dandies before the world are frequently the greatest slavens in domestic privacy. He wished her good morning in a careless tone of apathy, and she as apathetically answered to it. Pierre says there are some letters, he began. What a precious hot day it is. Two, was her short reply, her tone sullen as his. For if you think, my good reader, that the flattering words, the ardent expressions, which usually attend the first go-off of these promising unions, last out a whole ten months, you are in egregious error. Compliments the very opposite to honey and sweetness have generally supervened long before. Try it if you don't believe me. Two letters, she continued, and they are both in the same handwriting. Your solicitors, I believe. Up went his hand at the last word, and he made a sort of grab at the letters, stalked to the farthest window, opened it, and glanced over its contents. Sir, we beg to inform you that the suit Carlyle versus Carlyle is at an end. The divorce was pronounced without opposition. According to your request, we hasten to forward you the earliest intimation of the fact. We are, sir, faithfully yours, Moss and Grab. F. Levison, Esquire. It was over then, and all claim to the name of Carlyle was declared to have been forfeited by the Lady Isabel forever. Captain Levison folded up the letter and placed it securely in an inner pocket. "'Is there any news?' she asked. "'News?' "'Of the divorce, I mean.' "'Tush!' was the response of Captain Levison. As if wishing to imply that the divorce was yet a far-off affair, and he proceeded to open the other letter. "'Sir, after sending off our last dated to-day, we received tidings of the demise of Sir Peter Levison, your grand-uncle.' 
he expired this afternoon in town where he had come for the benefit of medical advice we have much pleasure in congratulating you upon your accession to the title and estates and beg to state that should it not be convenient to you to visit england at present we will be happy to transact all necessary matters for you on your favouring us with instructions and we remain sir most faithfully yours moss and grab sir francis levison bart the outside of the letter was superscribed as the other f levison esq no doubt with a view to its more certain delivery at last thank the pigs was the gentleman's euphonious expression as he tossed the letter open on the breakfast-table the divorce is granted feverishly uttered lady isabel he made no reply but seated himself to breakfast may i read the letter is it for me to read for what else should i have thrown it there he said a few days ago you put a letter open on the table i thought for me but when i took it up you swore at me do you remember it captain levison you may drop that odious title isabel which has stuck to me too long i own a better now what one pray you can look and see lady isabel took up the letter and read it sir francis swallowed down his coffee and rang the table handbell the only bell you generally meet with in france pierre answered it put me up a change of things said he in french i start for england in an hour it is very well pierre responded and departed to do it lady isabel waited till the man was gone and then spoke a faint flush of emotion in her cheeks you do not mean what you say you will not leave me yet i cannot do otherwise he answered there's a mountain of business to be attended to now that i have come into power moss and grab say they will act for you had there been a necessity for your going they would not have offered that ay they do say so with a fair eye to the feathering of their pockets besides i should not choose for the old man's funeral to take place without me then i must accompany you she urged i wish you would not talk nonsense isabel are you in a state to travel night and day neither would home be agreeable to you yet awhile she felt the force of the objections resuming after a moment's pause were you to go to england you might not be back in time in time for what oh how can you ask she rejoined in a sharp tone of reproach you know too well in time to make me your wife when the divorce shall appear i shall chance it coolly observed sir francis chance it chance the legitimacy of the child you must assure that before all things more terrible to me than all the rest would be if now don't put yourself in a fever isabel how many times am i to be compelled to beg that of you it does no good is it my fault if i am called suddenly to england have you no pity for your child she urged in agitation nothing can repair the injury if you once suffer it to come upon him he will be a byword amidst men throughout his life you had better have written to the law lords to urge on the divorce he returned i cannot help the delay there has been no delay quite the contrary but it may be expected hourly now you are worrying yourself for nothing isabel i shall be back in time he quitted the room as he spoke and lady isabel remained in it the image of despair nearly an hour elapsed when she remembered the breakfast things and rang for them to be removed a maid-servant entered to do it and she thought how ill milady looked where is pierre milady asked pierre was making himself ready to attend monsieur to england 
Scarcely had she closed the door upon herself and the tray when Sir Francis Levison appeared equipped for travelling. "'Good-bye, Isabel,' said he, without further circumlocution or ceremony. Lady Isabel, excited beyond all self-control, slipped the bolt to the door, and half-leaning against it, half-leaning at his feet, held up her hand in supplication. "'Francis, have you any consideration left for me? Any in the world?' "'How can you be so alarmed, Isabel? Of course I have,' he continued, in a peevish though kind tone, as he took hold of her hands to raise her. "'No, not yet. I will remain here until you say you will wait another day or two. You know that the French Protestant minister is prepared to marry us the instant news of the divorce shall arrive. If you do still care for me, you will wait.' "'I cannot wait,' he replied, his tone changing to one of determination. "'It is useless to urge it.' He broke from her and left the room, and in another minute had left the house, Pierre attending him. A feeling amounting to a conviction rushed over the unhappy lady that she had seen him for the last time until it was too late. She was right. It was too late by weeks and months. December came in. The Alps were covered with snow. Grenoble borrowed the shade and looked cold and white and sleety and sloppy. The gutters running through the middle of certain of the streets were unusually black, and the people crept along especially dismal. Close to the fire in the barn of a French bedroom, full of windows and doors and draughts, with its wide hearth and its wide chimney, into which we could put four or five of our English ones, shivered Lady Isabel Vane. She had an invalid cap on, and a thick woolen invalid shawl, and she shook and shivered perpetually, though she had drawn so close to the wood fire that there was a danger of her petticoats igniting, and the attendant had frequently to spring up and interpose between them and the crackling logs. Little did it seem to matter to Lady Isabel. She sat in one position, her countenance the picture of stony despair. So she had sat, so looking, since she began to get better. She had had a long illness, terminating in a low fever, but the attendants whispered among themselves that milady would soon get about if she would only rouse herself. She had got so far about as to sit up in the windy chamber, and it seemed to be to her a matter of perfect indifference whether she ever got out of it. This day she had partaken of her early dinner, such as it was, for her appetite failed, and had dozed asleep in the armchair when a noise arose from below, like a carriage driving into the courtyard through the port cochere. It instantly aroused her. Had he come? Who is it? she asked of the nurse. Milady, it is Monsieur, and Pierre is with him. I have begged Milady often and often not to fret, for Monsieur would surely come, Milady. See, I am right. The girl departed, closing the door, and Lady Isabel sat looking at it, schooling her patience. Another moment, and it was flung open. Sir Francis Levison approached to greet her as he came in. She waved him off, begging him, in a subdued, quiet tone, not to draw too near, as any little excitement made her faint now. He took a seat opposite to her and began pushing the logs together with his boot, as he explained that he really could not get away from town before. "'Why did you come now?' she quietly rejoined. "'Why did I come?' repeated he. "'Are these all the thanks a fellow gets for travelling in this inclement weather? "'I thought you at least would have been glad to welcome me, Isabel.'" End of East Lynn, Chapter 25, Part 1 
Recording by Linda McDaniel, Atlanta, Georgia, February 2009.